Martinez saved Talbot. Kopitar bangs it off the back of the net. 12 seconds, great shot, Martinez. Save made by Camp Talbot. And here come the Oilers, 2-1-1 on one to win it. McDavid in for the left-hand side. Drysaddle waits. There's the centering pass. What timer score! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 champ. Well, hope you've been able to stay mostly dry and warm today. I'm sure over the weekend, maybe you filled up with a drumstick or an ice cream sandwich at Taste of Edmonton, maybe some green onion cakes, maybe you went on the rides at K-Days, a lot going on in our city, though maybe a, a better day to hibernate. We'll see what it's like tonight. I think it might be dry tonight, though still not that warm, and we are leading into a big, big week here on 630 Chet in the city of Edmonton. Two four-game winning streaks will collide Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium on Friday night. Your 4-0 Edmonton Eskimos up against the 4-1 BC Lions. Their one loss was two to the Edmonton Eskimos at the start of the season. Eskimos back at work today. We're going to have former member of the Green and Gold, Jed Roberts, in studio and Jason Moss with Morley Scott from 7.30 to 8. Hugh O'Neill signed by the Edmonton Eskimos, former U of A Golden Bear, former punter with the Eskimos and Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, so Jason Moss will give us the lowdown on that. Will he be active for Friday's game? Is he a little bit of insurance? We'll see about that. My name is Reed Wilkins, 7 8 is the open line. You can text 630-630. CFL game tonight. Ottawa finishing off this hellacious stretch of games. They're trailing Toronto 3-0 with a minute and a half left in the first quarter. The Blue Jays also in action this evening, tied 1-1 with Oakland. That is in the middle of the fourth. The Oil Country Championship second annual Stop on the uh, McKenzie Tour. Going to be at the Windermere this year. It's the, the tournament runs next Thursday to Sunday, August 3rd to 6th, but events are going to start a week from today. Uh, there was a, a media day today, so got to do some interviews, got to meet a couple of the local golfers in on sponsor exemptions. You'll hear from uh, Jason Martins later on tonight. Great story, 20-year-old, been playing at the Windermere not necessarily full rounds, but going to the range since he was two years old. He's going to get to play, so you'll meet him. He's a really good story. Nick Vandermeer as well. He's going to be on the show later on this week. But Grant Fewer was there. I actually got to play nine holes with Grant and uh, Jack Haskins from Global Television. We uh, thought, well, let's start and see how far we get. And uh, after four or five holes, we were like, okay, this is only going to be a nine-hole round today because of the weather. But the course is in great condition. Green's fast for me. I don't know what actual pro golfers will, will think, but Windermere is a beautiful track and going to be a great test for the guys on the McKenzie Tour. Also, uh, this is great today because the Edmonton Oilers Community Foundation heavily involved in a lot of great works throughout the city. Now, all net proceeds from the Oil Country Championship will go to support the Glen Rose Rehabilitation Hospital Foundation, specifically the Pediatric Procedure Room. So that is great. The EOCF announcing that today, and you can get more on 630Ched.com. All right, moving along. A bed in a bag. There isn't a man in this room knows what the hell I'm talking about. Every woman does. I'll teach you, boys, because somebody had to teach me. A bed in a bag is everything you need for a bed. Conveniently located in a bag. It's like a sheet, fitted sheet, comforter, pillowcase, skirt. What am I missing? Sham. Yes. I heard from the back. Sham. Why doesn't he say sham? It's the most important part of the. 
It's not like a rip-off sham either, boys. Don't get confused. It's like one of those uh, frilly things that women love to put on pillows, eh? Which ends up being a rip-off because your wife will put it on a pillow, then you're never allowed to lie down on the damn pillow anymore. Yeah, very frustrating. That, of course, Andrew Gross, who has, uh, for, I think for the third time, has decided to stick around and be a guest-slash-banter buddy. Sure. Inside sports. Uh, the, I ripped the audio off YouTube. I hope that's legal to play. I, or did I just ruin your whole act? I suspect that I'll be getting a residual check at any moment <laughs> as the show progresses. From YouTube, we'll mail it to you. Do you, do you want to hear? I don't know what we're here to talk about. Do you want to uh, talk about bed and bag for just a moment? Well, I, uh, that's is that your most well-known bit? Your yeah. long, longest standing bit? How would you characterize yes, it? Yes, I've been doing bed in the bag for the better part of uh, 22 oh, years. Wow. Uh, I tried to get rid of it a few years ago because I was as tired of it as I felt the audiences probably were. Okay. Uh, but audience members actually complained that they had come and told their friends that, oh, he's the bed in the bag guy, and then I didn't do the bed in the bag. But the funny thing about the bed in the bag is I was starting out in comedy, and I was starting to have some amount of success. I was off amateur night. I was do- on a pro circuit, but it was bars and, you know, no arenas or theaters or anything like that. And my wife and I had this shopping experience where we went to buy a lamp, and she had said she liked this lamp but liked that shade. And so she said, just switch the shades. And I was like, are you, can you do that? Probably not supposed to do it. Right. It was at Home Depot, I remember. And she said, yeah, oh, no, they don't care. So I'm switching the shades, which had to be screwed on. They're just not, you can't just pull them off. So as I'm doing that, uh, I hear this, uh, can I help you, sir? And it's the Home Depot guy. So I turn to say to my wife, you know, uh, oh, and she's gone. Like, she's the worst getaway driver ever. She's just gone. So now I'm just the guy, you know. Possibly stealing a lamp. Exactly. The guy didn't know. And I said, oh, I'm really sorry. I was, uh, my wife said it would be okay to switch shades or whatever. And he's like, uh, yeah, let me do it for you, though, so you don't. And so he switched them, right? Okay. So I got home and I said, that's a really good bit. Like, I like that, the concept of that bit. So we, my wife and I wrote it together and it was not bed in a bag, it was switching lampshades. Okay. And I went. Uh, to the club a couple of nights later, tried it, didn't really work, and people couldn't really identify with it. And then my wife suggested you should do this uh, bed in the bag. You know, and I didn't know what it was, and she described it to me. <laughs> okay. And so we wrote together bed in the bag. Then for another two years, I never performed it. So she would ask me each night when I got home, did you do bed in the bag? And I was like, oh, no, it wasn't the right crowd for it or whatever. So one night, and at this point, I'd done no television, hadn't done it just for laughs. But as I say, I was starting to get out and, you know, do some bar gigs. I come home, or sorry, I said to her, do you want to go to the club with me tonight, which she hates doing? And she was like, I'll do it if you do bed in the bag. And I was like, okay. So I went to the club. It was the Yuck Yucks when it was in West Edmonton Mall. Place was sold out got on stage and thought, well, I'll just open with that because then that will give me time to recover from the disaster that I know this bit is going to be. <laughs> and I threw down bed in the bag and it crushed. And as the audience is applauding, I turn to my wife and she shrugs her, her shoulders as though to say, told you. And from that moment on, that bit got me a comedy at Club 54, which got me uh, CBC Madly Off in All Directions, which got me a Just for Laughs, mm-hmm. which then got me a tour of Europe and Middle East. Made you a multi-millionaire, basically. It, it <laughs> launched me. It launched it me. Launched you in outer space. That's now, right. What do you What do you think? What do you think works about that? Is it just because it plays so heavily on the the husband wife male female dynamic, or the awkward male, or what do you think it is? I I think it's the fact that uh, women dictate the sense of humor of any crowd. I've always believed that. I still believe that. That women determine what's funny, what isn't funny, and their partners tend to follow along. Okay. 
So I think the fact that it's a product that only they seem to understand for the most part, that they feel as though I am now sharing a secret that they've held for many years, which is what is a bed in a bag. And I think they can also, because, you know, comedy is very much so a couple sport. So I think that they sort of see my, their husbands in me. And they can, they can sort of visualize having to describe shopping. But at the same time, I'm a husband who is prepared to go buy a bed in a bag with them. And any husband who's willing to go to, like, a home sense, that guy is a keeper. So I think it appeals to women on all levels. And, yeah, it's just worked. And it's a funny thing because the number of people over the years, I, I've seriously been doing it for 20-some years, who've sent me pictures of beds and bags, sent me samples of beds and bags, who oh, reference beds and bags. I mean, to the point where I would say if you were to describe a comedian, I saw a comedian last night, Andrew Gross, people like, oh, yeah, who's that? But if you said I saw the bed and the bag guy, they go, I know that guy. Right. Yeah. Well, that's amazing that that, yeah. that has that connection. Uh, your wife, Carol? Carol. Your wife? Uh, who, oddly enough, I don't, I'm not sure I've ever met. We're going to have to fix that someday. Hmm. Um, you should have met her backstage during the media. Tournament. Oh well, I was yeah. pretty nervous for yeah, those. And she was. Well, busy. I was more nervous the first time. Right. The second time, I was much better. Um, your relationship with you've touched on this a little bit, but what your relationship when it comes to viewing and or talking about sports together. Is there is that part of the relationship? Yeah, Carol keeps. There must me, be some comedy there. Yeah, she keeps me company during sporting events. So if it's a live sporting event, she'll go and participate. If it's an Oilers game and we're actually there, then yeah, she's there cheering on the team and and whatever. Eskimo, same thing. When it comes to watching sports on television, um, she'll keep me company. But she's often buried in a magazine, and I'm the one who says, okay, hang on, hang on, watch this. Watch mm -hmm. watch the replay, and then I'll become sportscaster and point out what I thought I saw, and she'll go, oh, that's interesting. But uh, we do argue because she has some very definite opinions about what football teams should do, for example, which I think are absolutely idiotic. And I'm assuming, I'm assuming that she doesn't listen to Inside Sports, and I didn't tell her I was staying, so I should be okay with this. But her philosophy, for example, is a team should never kick. That's her philosophy. Ever. She's, ever. Like, what if they're third and 30 from their own one? Doesn't matter. And and I I threw those scenarios at her. What if you're up by three and in their end, but uh, you're about, you're on, no, doesn't matter. Go for it. Like, what if you're in your own end? What if you're backed up in the shadow of the posts and, no, doesn't matter. Go for it. And then when a team does, she'll be like that. See? Yeah, but it's always right. usually third and one where you just fall I know. forward. Yeah. I know, I know. But I know that there is a sort of a, there is a belief that, that's, that there's an aspect of that that's actually true, that when you look at the percentages, and, right? Yeah, you and I discussed this, yeah. but there are, because I remember several years ago, uh, a business guy wrote an analysis of going for it. He used the NFL, he was an American, yeah. so he used the NFL. And he said his, his theory was, other than scoring points, possession of the football is vital in pro foot in football because that's what leads to scoring right, points, right. right? So he said, "Why would you ever give it up? Give yeah. it to the other team?" Yep. Though even he had some scenarios where he said, "In this case, you should punt or kick," and it was score dependent, mm -hmm. field position dependent. But he made an interesting argument, like if you're in the NFL, fourth and four on the other team's thirty-two, why not just go for it? Yeah, you know, why not? You're gonna why? at the very worst. You're gonna be left. You're gonna be leaving them with bad field seventy position. yards, or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's an argument to be had. So there. says she. Have you, she has not uh, backed down on the on, going. No, <laughs> on the kicking part, or yeah, yeah, no, no, not at all. And and the thing too is she'll say things like, and, and maybe many, many casual observers are the same way, but she'll say things like, why, why do they keep throwing it to that guy? 
<laughs> you know, like, or why do they keep throwing it to a Darius Bowman, right? And I'll say, because a Darius Bowman will drop three and then make a highlight reel catch. That's why, right? So we're not worried about one, two, or three. We're looking at number four. That'll be a 70-yarder, right? Right. Um, it seems to me they should throw to that guy. And it's kind of hard to argue that point, you know, because Bowman is that guy, for example. Sure. Right? And, and you go, yeah, no, no, no. But, and then I try to describe that. But every play has a purpose in football. You, you pass two to, you know, like they did a couple of weeks ago, you pass two to Bowman in heavy coverage right up the middle, and, and people are going to adjust to that. They yes. know that's Mike Riley's favorite target. Um, they're going to they're gonna move that coverage in a little bit, and that's going to free up that, you know, wide receiver, slot back, or whoever to go, out the out, uh, to go on the outside. Yeah, right? absolutely. Right. I mean, obviously you want every play to be successfully completed, but if not, it still can do some, some good for your team, yeah. right? But, you know, I mean, Bowman, that, that's a bad example. Or actually, it's a good end. Well, no, here's, here's, a good, here's what you should tell it, because a couple of years ago, uh, Damon Allen, uh, Tracy Hamm, and I think Gizmo were golfing together. Gizmo obviously lives here, and, they, and, like they, the and they, brought them, they brought them in after the golf tournament. And I can't remember if he said it on air. I think it was kind of a story he told partially on air and then finished off air. But Damon Allen said in the first three quarters of a game, he would call plays that he was pretty sure weren't work, would, wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah. So then he could fake that play and and hit the home run in in, in the fourth quarter. Which yeah. you should tell your wife that. Andrew, can you stick yeah. around to the Absolutely. bottom of the hour? Andrew, Andrew Gross is in studio. Jed Roberts, former Eskimo, is coming up in studio as well. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. It's Inside Sports on 630. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. Really appreciate you tuning in tonight. Yeah, more on the uh, Oil Country Championship on 630Ched.com, and you'll meet one of the golfers involved as we move along tonight. Elaine from Castle Downs. So, Andrew, you're saying your wife kickstarted your career, LOL? Oh, I'm absolutely saying that. <laughs> and uh, this texter says, no name on it. Uh, Andrew, you killed with your ice fishing bit at a golf tournament like 10 years ago. What am I going to do? Just sit in the boat? Yep. That's another bit you got? I don't know if I've heard that one. There was a time at which sometimes people remind me of bits, and I'd forgotten that I had those bits. I oftentimes will see myself on television doing an old Just for Laughs or something like that, and then I'll think, why did I ever drop that bit? And typically what happened was I dropped it one night for a specific reason. So either time was a factor or I just felt that it wasn't the right group for it, and then you just forget to do it again the next night, and then suddenly a decade goes by and you see an old CBC Comics or something, you're like, why am I not doing the ice fishing joke anymore or whatever? Or people will ask you to do a bet and you'll think, oh, I don't even remember how that goes. I've had audience members remind me, like, you know, they'll ask me to do a particular bet and I'll be like, okay, just run it over for me. Like, how does it, you know, and then, okay, I remember now. <laughs> You're remember doing now. it for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you, the first time you, you stayed and did inside sports, and it was great because you introduced a total side of yourself that I don't think you talk about as much on the afternoon news, was about when you coached, uh, was it Bantam football? Bantam football in Calgary. Football in yep. Calgary, and yep. you told the story about having 12 grade sevens, 12 yep. grade eights, or whatever the age was. Yep. Uh, so let, let me ask you this, because you're a passionate fan, and, and uh, we give each other a hard time about the, the sports stuff, but what's the line for you saying I coach football and I think there are some things I understand about decisions a coach has to make and things that happen on the sidelines but then there's the line well I was still a long way from the CFL because I know you know Rob mm. and I after games yep. 
will get, and God love these people, and we know it's the people are so passionate here. You know, the guy that calls in and says, well, my Wee AA team does this on the power play. Why don't the Oilers do it? And, <laughs> yeah, and Rob sure. Brown will kind of look at me and be like, I don't, you know, he, yeah. doesn't, he doesn't want to insult these people, yeah. but it's a bit of a different stratosphere of playing. So what's the line for you is saying, I've, I've been on a football shoe, football coach's shoes, but I haven't coached one of the, you know, 40 yeah. four pro teams well, that there are. In North well, America. I think I'm pretty clear on keeping those things separate, both player, coach, and fan. I mean, you know, we talked a moment ago about Darius Bowman being Mike Riley's favorite target. Um, well, when I first started in football, I was a receiver, which is so weird looking at me now. <laughs> um, ended up on the defense. But I know... Um, you know, I'm not making the catches that Darius Bowman is. Sure. So, I mean, I wouldn't uh, suggest, well, that was a dumb play on Riley's part, trying to put it into heavy coverage in the end zone. Well, no, he's passing to a Darius Bowman, so he wasn't passing to Andrew Gross. So I'm pretty clear on that. When it comes to coaching, I mean, there, yeah, you understand that you're up against different parameters when you're talking about professional sports versus Bantam High School, college. But the basic game is the same, and the strategies are often the same. Um I mean, there are times, and I guess I'm like every other fan, and maybe I feel like I know a little bit more and perhaps I don't. And But, you know, like there's little things that, I, that annoy me, and it's typically not the call. It's typically not the offensive play that's called or the defensive scheme, but something like clock management or something where I just think, you know what? Uh, Bantam football coach manages a clock better than Winnipeg just managed the clock. Right. You, you know, <laughs> and and those are the same rules. We're playing by those same Canadian football rules, right? Um, but then on the other hand, you know, I will acknowledge the fact that there may be more at play here than I'm aware of, and <laughs> right. you know, whatever. But it's hard sometimes because I, I and listen, don't get me wrong, I'm not that guy who thinks he could step out and coach a CFL of team. Of course, yeah. And I, and I don't think there's anything that I know that I could teach to any CFL player. So I get it, but I mean, I love the game the same as I love curling. I love curling because I know curling is a game of strategy and, yeah. you know, most people well, see it as throwing rocks, and, right? And I think of all the sports, the second guessing applies more to football than anything else because it's sure. such a, okay, we got a play, takes four seconds, we stop, both teams organize for their next play. That's right. So you can go more than any other sport, I think, find a moment. And I, I was glad last week I finally got a chance to ask Jason Moss, why don't you go for two more off? Yes. Because a couple texters loved always, it. Yep. And he basically said, like, look, that's my plan and the team, like, he basically said, the team needs structure. They know when we score a touchdown, Sean White's running out on the field and we're going to kick. Right. Unless it's late in the game, then I'm going to have my scenarios to go for two. So he's not willy-nilly deciding no. after each touchdown. Ah, I mean, and, and, you know, you only have so much time to get your players. So, I mean, you, you also have, does have yeah, a reason. You have multiple Fans, outcomes in any right. team sport as well because you've got 12 players on the team, and oftentimes we forget that there's 12 on the other team too. Trying just as hard. Trying just as hard to stop you. Andrew, we're, we're going to do this again. Thanks for sticking around. Oh, it went by fast. My pleasure. Jed Roberts, former Eskimo, and he's got some great stories to tell. He's coming up next on Inside Sports. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Shout out to all my boss boys.
Mark Letestu, one of the uh, Oilers who will be playing in the Celebrity Pro-Am next Tuesday at the Windermere for the Oil Country Championship. Cam Talbot, Craig Simpson, Glenn Sather, Bob Nicholson, Janet and Wayne Gretzky. Jelena Marjanovic among the names on that list. I was at the media today for the uh, media day today for the Oil Country Championship and we'll uh, meet golfer Jason Martins a little bit later on in the show. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight. It is 6.34. We're ramping up towards a big Eskimos game Friday night football against the BC Lions. They are uh, a dangerous foe. They've won four in a row. The Eskimos have won four in a row. They haven't lost. BC has played an extra game. They haven't had their bye yet, and their only loss was to the Eskimos in week one. So that's going to be a big matchup, and I'm pleased to welcome into studio a man who had a lot of big matchups as an Eskimo and is probably looking forward to Friday night as uh, well. It is Jed Roberts checking in tonight. Jed, great to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me in. Yeah, it's good to good to talk to you. You know, you, you remain a, a very popular uh, former Eskimo. And by the way, if you got a question for Jed, don't uh, text. Uh, don't hesitate to text 6:30, 6:30. We can we can work those in, but we want we want we want to go. I want to go way back with you, Jed. Okay, way I'll go back, back with far. you. Uh, Ottawa, you're growing up. Yeah. And your dad, are you old enough to remember your dad playing on as a rough um, rider? Vaguely. I remember playing around in the locker room and getting into my dad's equipment and stuff. Didn't smell very good, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but I remember um, him and Whit Tucker were tight buddies. And he used to go over to the, his house and play with his kids and swim in the pool and stuff. And so, yeah, I have pretty good memories. Very fond time. Uh, your dad won a couple of great cups, I believe, yep. as a yeah, rough rider. 68-69. He, he caught the first touchdown in the 69 great cup in Montreal against the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So pretty cool. When they did that uh, engraved on a nation series about the FLQ thing in Montreal, you know, and, and all the hype around that, and then the fact that he was the one that catched the first touchdown, it was that was filmed shortly after my dad passed away, so that was pretty cool to see that. Yeah, so. you lost your dad in, 20, in 2010, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, so was that, I mean, obviously, was it was your football career, does it boil down to you wanted to follow your dad? or uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty simple. You know, like my dad was always a larger than life figure. You know, he was, he was a big man physically. He was 6'5 and wore a size 16 cowboy boot. And, uh, you know, I always wanted to fill that boot. I never quite came, I never quite got there. But, uh, you know, my dad, I remember him telling me after, I think it was 97, when we went to Ottawa. It was just before Ottawa closed down, 96 or 97. And he said to me, you know, this is about the time of my career when I, I had to hang it up. And he was pretty bitter about the way things ended for him because uh, Jack Goddard came in and replaced Frank Clair in 1970. And my dad was the first player rep that Ottawa ever had. And, really? Uh, he was instrumental in forming the Players Union as we know it today. And um, he had some disagreements with Jack Gotta over the practice times and, um, you know, among other things. But that was the main issue. So Gotta released him, I think, right around Labor Day. And then uh, he got an offer from the San Francisco 49ers to line up as a left tackle because he was a quite, he was a very good blocker. He was better known for his blocking than pass catching. Okay. Um, but he... Uh, he asked them who they were playing that week, and they were gonna they were gonna play the Los Angeles Rams, and uh, they had a defensive end by the name of uh, Deacon Jones. <laughs> Most <laughs> people have said, heard of him, I'm sure. My dad said thanks, but no thanks. You know, he was making more money playing for Ottawa. That was back when Ottawa was, you know, the CFL teams were paying better than the NFL teams. So, a lot of people don't realize that. But so, uh, so you became your, so your dad was a, was a was a tight end, which we don't really use a lot in the nope. CFL anymore. I mean, McCarty might sometimes line up like that, a couple other guys, but it's not a regular formation. So, but. When when you were a kid, were you offense or, or defense? Well, you know what? It was 
because of my hearing, like I was born with a nerve defect in both ears, which means I can't hear anything. You know, I wear uh, hearing aids and hearing aids help to correct it, but I don't hear. When I take these off, let's put it this way. If I take these off and my wife's really angry at me, it's awesome because I can't really hear what she has to say. It's <laughs> also awesome for her because she can say whatever she wants and I don't get my feelings hurt. But uh, <laughs> because of the hearing thing, it was hard for me to play offense because I couldn't hear audible. So coaches were always leaning toward putting me on defense because then I could just be more of a reactive player and just move on ball movement. Um, I did play a little bit of offense. Of I actually played... Uh, I played the whole game in 1999 against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders when Neilon Green had 191 yards. I don't think I came off the field the whole game. So I might be the last Eskimo player to do that. You so. were playing, uh, what, D-line and? And tight end. And tight end yeah, that the whole game. game. Yeah. I had so to change my number in uh, 1999 when Don Matthews came here because he wanted me to play tight end on short yardage. Yeah. And I went from 43 to 76. I wore my dad's old right. number. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I knew you changed numbers, but I yeah. couldn't remember what the I might have been the was. first one to wear 76 since George McGowan. And then the year after that, Randy Randy Spencer came in and wore 76. Right. After I retired in 2002. And uh, since then, a few, few other people have worn it. But I think before then, nobody had ever worn 76. I think because Dwayne Mandruzak was quite fond of uh, McGowan. So he wanted to keep that number. He's got uh, kind of unofficial retired numbers. You know, you don't see too many people wearing two anymore. I mean, Stamps was a bit of an exception because he was a great player. Right. But, um, he has his numbers that he kind of guards. You won't see, ever see anybody wear number one. No, you know, I think that's... Moon, right? so yeah, that's football teams rarely retire numbers mm-hmm. because certain position sets have to wear certain numbers. Like yeah. If a team has 12 great receivers, the new guys won't have any numbers. But yeah, yeah. we haven't seen... What Did Omar Morgan wear number two? Yeah, maybe. Maybe he did. The defensive back I remember he came in from year. Saskatchewan, and he was pretty highly touted. And then he, he went have. back to Saskatchewan, yeah. I think, the next yeah. year because it yeah. wasn't didn't work out too well. So, okay, so you're growing up in Ottawa. Your, your dad's in the CFL. You look up to your dad. You're playing football. I, this is a standard question I ask almost everyone, but, but I, I find it interesting because, look, there comes a point in everybody's life where you got to commit and kind of pick, mm-hmm. right? So when did you say to yourself, maybe, maybe I can become a pro football player and, and you know, actually make it? Did you have that... You know what? To be to be honest with you, um, every level I graduated to, like whether it be junior high to high school, high school to college, college to, it was a struggle. Like it was never. I never came in highly recruited guy. I was never. I wasn't drafted. Mm-hmm. I signed as a free agent. Uh, I didn't get a scholarship. I came in. I walked on at the University of Northern Colorado. Uh, they built a brand new high school. I came in. I didn't know anybody. So it was always like I had to kind of go the long way. And I think it was a lot more rewarding because of that for me because uh, I never came in there were no expectations ever placed on me. I just, right. you know, I had nothing to lose. Nobody knew who I was. So, and it, it was, it just, it just so happened that that was the way it was, you know, it was patterned that way. Um, you know, when I came to Edmonton, I actually came into camp with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in 1990. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is uh, Mike Riley, the then head coach Mike, Mike Riley, had been our defensive coordinator at Northern Colorado for a year. Right. In 1980, I want to say seven, but I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. And, um, he went back to Winnipeg because he had come from Winnipeg and he went back as the head coach and um, I think it was 88 that he went back there as a head coach and um, the co- the CFL didn't realize that I was born in Canada. Oh, and really? So, yeah, and our offensive coordinator my senior year at Northern Colorado was a guy by the name of Kay, Kay Dalton. 
okay. who was the head coach for the Montreal Alouettes in the early 70s. And my dad and Kay knew each other because of that. And so they were talking one day on the phone, and my dad was trying to get some film to send to, you know, some teams like NFL teams and CFL teams. And they just started talking, and Kay was like, was Jed born in Canada? And my dad said yes, and he's like, what? And he almost jumped through the phone. And so he says, yeah, I need to call the league. So they call the league, and now what they do is they have like a supplemental draft, quote-unquote. Right. Uh, back then, they weren't really doing that. They were doing what they call, I think, territorial exemptions or whatever, right? Yeah. Or neg list, whatever. So they, my dad petitioned the league, uh, won, and so they switched my status going in because I had already signed a, a contract with Winnipeg as an American, but halfway through camp, I switched to Canadian. So as you should have funny. been. Yeah, yeah. but I, I've been training in Texas, and it was about 115 degrees, and I was doing wind sprints at <laughs> oh, one of the geez. high school fields, and I tore my hamstring. And so I was hurt going in. I didn't tell anybody, so the first day I got hurt covering Robert Mims on a route, and I didn't really do anything. I didn't play in any exhibition games with Winnipeg. I just sat there for three weeks. Had a great time. Got to know everybody on the team in, in, in the space of three weeks. That was a very closely knit team, 1990 Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And they released me after three weeks and wanted to send me to Oklahoma City to play minor league football. I had just come from there. I wasn't going, back, going to back to Texas or Oklahoma. Yeah. It was, I, I knew how hot it was. And, you know, they said, yeah, we'll get you a job. You can work in a warehouse and, you know, you can play on this. They had Daryl Rogers. He used to coach at the Arizona State. Yeah. And he was the head coach there. He ended up actually coming back up and coaching, I think, Winnipeg after that. But... I just didn't have any interest in doing that. And I figured I could get on with somebody else and, as a practice roster player. Uh-huh. And um, I called every team. The first team to call me back was Edmonton, and here I am. And You've stayed ever since. 2017. What, 13, 13 years know. with the Eskimos? Yeah, 90 I had a great to, season. 90-02. Do you, okay, do you remember your first CFL game, Jed? I do. <laughs> Were you overwhelmed or what? Uh, well, actually, the first technically my first game was against Winnipeg. And okay. uh, they dressed me because they figured it would be a revenge thing. And Dwayne was really, really mean <laughs> to the rookies, right? And he wouldn't give me any uh, new cleats. And so I asked him, and he wouldn't give them to me. So I had these old shoes that I'd worn in college, and they were screw-ins, and they had worn down to nubs. And so I got in at the end of the game, and I was in perfect position to make three or four tackles, but I slid because it was, oh, I, had no, no. I had no footing, right? And so uh, Dwayne got into big trouble with the coaches because they looked at my shoes like, what the heck? Why are you wearing these shoes? And I said, well, Dwayne won't give me any cleats. And so uh, Dwayne got into big trouble for that. But the second, the first actual game I got into was Saskatchewan. And we went down there, and I didn't do very well. <laughs> it was uh, opening kickoff. I'm sure the fans weren't on you at all, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was awesome. You know what? It was it was a big thrill because I grew up listening to my dad talk about Saskatchewan Rough Riders and you know, the big battles because they were really good in the 60s, right? Ottawa and Saskatchewan, even yeah. though they weren't in the same and then, division. You know, yeah. they, they made it to the Grey Cup in, I think, 76, and then they kind of petered off, and it was the Dark Ages, kind of like uh, from between 77 and, I don't know, maybe 90s. Well, almost One, till they 90. folded yeah. pretty much. Yeah. yeah, they were. They had to have a lottery, right? So or yeah. a telethon or whatever to to save the team. But um, oh, sorry, still I had you that. mean Saskatchewan? Yeah, not yeah, Ottawa, Saskatchewan. Yeah. But they still had that that support, and that was the first. You know, Edmonton. The, the, the track thing at Edmonton kind of keeps the fans kind of far away. When you get to Saskatchewan, they're right on top of you, like Hamilton or whatever. So it was pretty loud. That was the first game where I was like, "Yeah, I'm in the league now." You know, right. I, can, I can feel the crowd, and you know, they were all over us. But uh, I didn't. I didn't play very well that game i was uh i was lucky to actually stay on the team i think jed roberts joining us in studio did you play in the 90 gray cup which 
obviously didn't. No, go I in. actually knew everybody on both teams, though. I actually yeah. hung out more with the Bomber guys than I did with the Eskimos guys because the Eskimo vets weren't really very nice to the younger guys then. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah, they were. It was funny because they were. Uh, you know, there was a core group of guys there that all worked, had jobs. You know, some were, like, teachers. Some were, you know, businessmen. And, you know, I mean, we're talking, like, Randy Ambrosi was one of our... He was a businessman who was working mm-hmm. as, a, as an investment banker, I think. You know, Mike McLean was teaching. Larry Ruck was working. All those guys, you know, so they always had it so that they could work their jobs, like Tom Richards, you know. And then we would have practice at 2.30 in the afternoon. They, that's unheard of. You can't, don't do that now. They practice in the mornings, right? Yep. And so those guys, and so I'm kind of twiddling my thumbs in the Crown Plaza Hotel there. Back then it was the, the Chateau Lacombe. And I'd take the LRT that was maybe about 900 meters long at that point. Right. <laughs> it's only a straight line. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, and I made that walk every day. That was the highlight of my day. I was going to Mr. Sub. I didn't have any friends on the team, right? So oh, we went to the breakup, and everybody remembered me from training camp. And so I hung out, hung out with all the, bom- the bombers. That was a great great team, that 1990 Bombers team. That well, team that, that was, the Eskimos had in 1990. It was 50-11, wasn't it, in the great Yeah, cup? they were really good. Yeah, they destroyed us. Like, And you know what? We lost Jeff, Jeff Braswell in the Western Final. Right. And then they put Mike McLean in there, and, and uh, they exploited that. Like, they were, they ran a bunch of screens and stuff, and they had, like, Warren Hudson scored, for heaven's sake. Yeah. I I, and Greg Battle was their big yeah, defensive Greg guy. Greg Battle had, a, had well, an interception what, for What's it like, Jed, being in a game, especially a championship game, that just spins out of control like that? Uh, and you're on the wrong end of it, right? You know what? It's almost better to lose that way, except that that was the Grey Cup, and it was for all there's the no marbles. There's no coming back. Right? I mean, if you lose week. a game like that in the regular season, you just shrug your shoulders. Like, there's nothing you can do. You know, it's tougher to lose close games, I think. But when you lose the Grey Cup like that, and, and you know, there was so much apathy that year, you know. I was in Vancouver, so there wasn't a lot of people in the stands, and I was kind of disappointed. I, I was disappointed for the league, you know, because it just didn't seem like there was a whole lot of uh, hype around the game. And, uh, you know, that's more of an NFL town, you know, in Vancouver. Same thing with Toronto, right? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it was fun for me. You know, I was a wide-eyed rookie. I, I was able to enjoy it because I didn't have any physical investment. I wasn't playing. I was in my street clothes, right? Um, you know, me and Trent Brown. They actually kept me, Trent Brown, Chris Armstrong, who ended up Oh, being so they decided to keep you out of the Grey Cup. Well, they actually they flew us in. We were practice roster guys. And so they only brought the in certain okay. guys, right? And the yeah. guys that they brought in... We're really, really, we all end up going on for long careers. And that's a testament to, like, Frank Morris, who was our scout back then, player player personnel guy. He really, he, I mean, it was an embarrassment of riches at that time. We had Michael Souls, Blake Marshall, Brian Walling, Chris Johnstone. You know, it was an embarrassment of riches at running back, right? And Larry Ruck and, you know, Rod Knopf, and I can go on and on. Like, yeah. those guys are all Hall of Fame-type guys, right? Well, and so Jed's going to stick around. Jed Roberts yeah. is in studio uh, with memories of uh, his days in the green and gold. We'll talk about the current team as well. But obviously there was glory yeah. in 93. Yeah. I want to ask about playing against uh, Doug Flutie, who was honored tonight by by yeah. the Argos. It's 648 Inside Sports on 630, Chad. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. CFL action, Toronto leading Ottawa 12-9 with 36 seconds left in the opening half. We'll keep an eye on that game for you. Blue Jays up 3-2 on the A's in the bottom of the sixth. This portion of Inside Sports presented by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. Visit actionfurnace.ca. My name is Reed Wilkins. Jason Moss with Morley Scott coming up from 7.30 to 8. 
Tonight, that's going to be a fun game on Friday. Eskimos and Lions, 6 o'clock for the countdown to kick off. The game starts at 7.30. I'm joined in studio by former Edmonton Eskimo Jed Roberts. Jed, we were talking about your life growing up with Ottawa. Uh, your dad was a rough rider. We went through uh, your debut in 1990 in the CFL. Then you become you become an Eskimo. You didn't know it was going to be necessarily a long-time yeah. Eskimo, but you go through the early 90s. Um, before we talk about the 93 Grey Cup, which was a great win for you guys, maybe a little unexpected because Calgary was a power. Yeah. And you would have played against Doug Flutie a lot, especially yep. when he was a Lion and a Stampeder. I mean, he was voted the greatest CFL player of all time. It's it's probably hard to argue with that. What was, what was he like to play against? Oh, he was incredible. Um, he was a guy that... He was fun to play against because you just never knew what was going to happen, you know. And he was a guy that he had. I mean, I think they talked about it in the paper today how he had autonomy to call his own plays, and he really did. He he would draw. He, he and we had grass back then, so you could kind of do that in our <laughs> stadium. But it was the only grass field. But you could draw. He'd draw plays up in the dirt, you know. And he would. And I've talked to a lot of the guys on the Calgary Stampeders and Daryl Mitchell's here in town, so we talk a lot about Flutie as well. But they, he would make adjustments on the field, and they would do things that were completely off the script. And he would do things that were completely off the script. I remember him flipping the ball with his left hand on the run and, and he just was amazing and it was really fun to play against I hated it at the time but now when I look back I'm really grateful and I think I played some of my best games against him you know I know uh, in 93 when we won the Grey Cup I had it on my birthday I sacked him and it was my 10th sack of the year so that in was the West probably Final. Uh, next to the Grey Cup that was probably the biggest thrill of my career because he was a Heisman Trophy winner and he was a really big deal down in the States and I remember being at my high school girlfriend's house watching him when he threw the uh, Hail Mary right for Boston uh, against, College yeah and so I mean, he, it was just a big thrill for me to be able to play against him. And I think that having him up here really lent the CFL a lot of credibility. And I think that if he hadn't come up here, I don't know how well the league would have done. I mean, right. he really carried the league on his shoulders for a good seven years, you know, okay, with, with starting with his time in BC and then he went to Calgary and then ending his career with Toronto. And the fact that he did pretty well when he went to Buffalo, you know, for a couple of years there, he was he was battling Rob Johnson for the starting job. And he really arguably, the he NFL he wasn't ready for him. Johnson. They weren't the ready part. for him yet. Right yeah. now, if he would come up now, he would dominate. He, because all the quarterbacks, they're asking the quarterbacks to do what he did. And whatever he did then was natural. You know, he was just a freak as far as that. I mean, people don't realize how fast he was. He had a stronger arm than people give him credit for, too. Yeah. So, but 93, you guys win the Grey Cup in Calgary after beating Calgary in the West Final and, and, and Flutie that year. What, and I mean, a lot of people remember the Sally Rand, Allen to Sandusky yeah. rolling out. Just that play seemed to work. But what uh, what clicked for that team at the end that put you guys over the top? Well, you know, um, Rich Strubler came in as our defensive coordinator, and um, he really built our defense with, uh, with beating Doug Flutie in mind. And uh, he wanted to do things. We did things on our defense that were very highly unorthodox. And we, we had a platoon system where we would roll in two groups of defensive linemen. And so we were always fresh, right? At that position I was in with Benny Goods, Benny and I had combined 24 sacks. And the CFL record is 24, right? And 24.5, I think. And so we were getting a lot of production because we were ruining that platoon system. So the O-line really didn't know how to prepare for us because they were seeing different bodies, different styles, you know, every three plays, right? Um, and our defensive backfield, we played a, a, a coverage called Match, which is... You know, it's pretty popular now, but back then not a lot of people were playing it, so they didn't really know what to make of it. It was kind of like a zone man concept where you where you drop back to a zone and then whenever the guy your receiver comes into your area you lock onto him. And so it's not technically zone, but it's not really man either. So and so what Doug did was he said, Well let's run double moves. 
And so what they started to do is they'd run the move, and then once we'd react to them, they'd run a, another move, and that's how they were able to have success against us in 94. But in 93, they didn't know that yet. And so they were 15-3 and three in 93, and we beat them uh, three times. We beat them twice in the regular season, and we beat them in the playoffs. So they were, we were really the only team that had their number that year. And uh, when I would think about that season, it was really special. It was really exciting. And nobody expected us to win. You know, we It was also coming on the heels of the big 12-player trade with Toronto, you know, where we actually – we picked up Damon Allen, and then we got rid of Tracy Ham, Craig Ellis, and you know we really cut a lot of the uh, the older guys, I and mean, we we freed up a lot of money. But we brought in a lot of young guys that had been with the Argos that were really really good, like Bruce Dixon, Len Johnson, you know. And we had a lot of success with JP Exquerdo as, as a special teams guy. You know, um, it was just a, a very we never really quite duplicated that. We came close in 96 when we yep. lost to Flutie in the snow. All right. So, that, and I just got a text here from David who says, Eskimos got robbed of a great cup with the uh, no call on the Flutie fumble against the Argos. I'm still bitter about that one. Were yeah, you on the field no for that? I'd, I'd have one more ring, you know, and I always say that, but you know what? Flutie had a way of, like, figuring out a way to get through things, you know. Um, and, you know, what? Flutie will tell you the same thing. He'll say, yeah, they should have they should have blown it dead and they should have given, you know, the ball to us because they he didn't even make the first down, let alone, you know, he fumbled it too. He actually, oh, it clearly that's came the part I think his... he, might, he might debate you on is that he think, he doesn't think he thinks he fumbled it, but he did, you know, and we were running it back, you know, it would have been a six points. Yeah. But uh, if we had an instant replay, it would have ruled our favor. But You wouldn't have got the touchdown, yeah. you would have got the ball. But you know what, that's yeah. one thing I think about is you look at all the games in history, like the Immaculate Reception in Pittsburgh, you know, those games probably wouldn't have turned out the way they did, you know, because instant replay. So, you, so does that their... play keep you up at night or ever bug you or is an athlete no, you just really. move on? You know, yeah. I, if I hadn't won a ring, if I was like Milt uh, Stiegel, where I'd never won a ring in my career, Doug... Uh, you know, big Doug Brown and and um, Winnipeg. I, I, it would it would bother me, but I I won and I, I can't be I can't be greedy. You know, it would be nice to have another ring, but you know I got mine and you know my dad and I are on the trophy, so I'm I'm okay. You know, Jed Roberts is in studio, former Edmonton Eskimo. He's going to stick around for a, a few minutes after the seven o'clock news. Don't forget, Jason Moss is coming up at seven thirty. I'm going to ask Jed uh, about some of the uh, community stuff he's did and what he's doing now, and obviously what he thinks about this year's version of the team. How do you like that drive on? Thursday and Hammer, eh? Riley yeah. pulled it off. You know, the thing that really impressed me, two things, with Mike Riley, you know, his his leadership is really bleeding through this year. Like, you really see it on screen. Um, he's really taking over, and, and, and it's really very much his team now. As before, you know, he would, they would show brief spurts of it. And the other thing was uh, the receivers, the way they were blocking downfield. You know, I know this team was built with uh, big strong, you know, athletic receivers in mind, and I think that's one thing that Jason in particular really favors. And you really see that when you, these receivers get the ball and they're they're running the ball after the catch, like yards after the catch. Yep. That's when you really see that happening, and, and that's when that all kind of pays off, that, that recruiting for size and athleticism. And, and this is a group, I think, receiving-wise, if you lose Bowman, you've still got these guys like Hazleton and... and Duke uh, Williams with that yeah, big block. Uh, those guys are all coming in, and Duke Williams is like, you know, he's a He's a diamond in the rough, you know, and uh, and they don't really miss much, and that's that's saying something because Bowman's probably the best receiver in the league, you know. More with Jed Roberts when we get back.